Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege we have to fellowship in Christ. And now, our Lord, as we go over the form of sound doctrine that we have and the catechism and the confession, I remind us, our Lord, that you're teaching us to think biblically. And we ask now that you'll minister to us in Christ's name. Amen. 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 What's the chief end of man? And begin it with, man's chief end is to glorify God. And enjoy. Nico's got it, right? There you go. How about, Ma, how about uh, Grandpa and Grandma? All oh, right, okay, got that one. Well, what rule has God given to direct us so we may glorify and enjoy Him? The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. And remember, contained in the Scriptures is not like contains 10% juice. Contained means that's where it is, okay? The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, we'll deal with that today, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. It's not the only rule to direct you. Uh, there's other rules, but the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy Him. Now, what do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. And the duty is obedience to his revealed will, which we'll come to. What is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Now, question. Why isn't love in there? Ooh. That's, that's the answer. Love is not an attribute of God because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit giving, each person giving himself for the good of another. That's love, right? So it's not an attribute. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Hmm? Yeah, you, oh, that's right. I've got to get stars up here for everybody. Iris will get the star up there. We'll put that wrinkle remover. <laughs> okay. You better get this one right. Are there more gods than one? There is but one only, the living and true God. And how many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Great, excellent, excellent. You're going to work on the next two for next week. I think that's where we are. And where's David? Oh, there you are. Remember, you're going to be reviewing catechism. Yeah, you're more strict than I am. I'm getting older and more mellow. You're young and sharp with these things. What's that? <laughs> okay. We are in the Confession of Faith, chapter 1. And let me, let me just read sections 1 to 4 and, make, then, make, and then ask the question, but how do you know? And incidentally, I am so thankful for the Westminster Confession because it has this whole statement on Holy Scripture, which none of the other reform they all, all the other Reformed confessions hold the same view, but they develop it more here. Okay? Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave people unexcusable 
yet they are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and of His will, right, His revealed will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, it pleased the Lord at sundry or various times and in diverse or various manners to reveal Himself and to declare that His will unto His church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit the same wholly unto writing, which makes the Holy Scripture to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will to his people, prophecy in tongues, for example, being now ceased. Under the name of Holy Scripture, or the Word of God written, are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testaments, and it lists the 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 books of the New Testament, all of which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule for faith and life. Number three. And you're going to ask the question, why is this the case or why not? The books commonly called Apocrypha, there's 12 of them, not being of divine inspiration, are no part of the canon, C-A-N-O-N, which means standard of the scripture, and therefore are of no authority in the church of God, nor to be any otherwise approved or made use of, other than other human writings. And we're going to get to that today. Because if you were in, brought up in the Roman Catholic Church, you were taught that these other 12 books are part of the Word of God. Number four, the authority of the Holy Scripture for which it ought to be believed and obeyed does not depend upon the testimony of any man or church. Because the Roman Catholic Church says we establish the canon of Scripture. The Confession says no. But it depends wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof, and therefore is to be received because it is the Word of God. And the obvious question, and be honest, you do ask it. How do I know that these 66 books of the Bible are the Word of God. Especially when you come to a book like Esther, where God's name isn't even mentioned, right? Further, how do you know that there are not other books that were inspired, that are for the use of the church in all ages? How do you know that? What about other Gospels? The Gospel of Barnabas, the Gospel of Thomas, how do we know that these are, are not part of the Word of God? And you've, if you talk to people at all, then they're going, to, they're going to ask these questions, okay? Now, a couple comments that be, as we get into this. Number one, interestingly, this was not an issue in the early church. The early church, for reasons we'll get to, knew that when it had the Old Testament and the New Testament, they had the Word of God. It was not an issue for them. The second thing is the reason why there's a lot of discussion of this is quite frankly people are fascinated with conspiracy theories. How, you know, Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code, uh, which came out, what, 10, 12 years ago, a, a conspiracy 
led by Constantine to corrupt the church by coming up with these 27 books known as the New Testament. And he, he connects all of these different things in, in that well-written book. That's a lot of poppycock. There's no basis in, in history. But see, people are fascinated with conspiracy theories, and they'll apply it to this, okay? So, so um, again, let, let's look at the canon, C-A-N-O-N, -N, not a canon you shoot. Canon is the standard. So when we talk about 66 books of the Bible, that's the canon of Scripture. Old Testament. The, it, that's fascinating to, to read the Old Testament writ, beginning to be written by Moses about 1,425 years before the birth of Christ and ending with Malachi about 1,000 years later, about 425 years before the birth of Christ. Fascinating to read how these books were used by the Jews over that time and how they were copied Remember, you, you, didn't have, uh, you didn't have Adobe Acrobat <laughs> at that time. You had, you had scrolls. And when you learn Hebrew, you, you'll, you'll find, as you're reading it, you'll come, you're going through a book, and you'll find certain letters, letters, not words, letters that are higher than others. And you get to the middle of the book, and there'll be a letter that's really, really high and kind of exaggerated. Why is that? Because the scribes who did that writing of copying manuscripts, they took the Word of God so seriously, they counted the letters. So when you got, can you, I, I mean, I just can't imagine this. Uh, they, they didn't do this with, with uh, Microsoft Word counting. The, they counted the letters. And when you got to the middle of the book, you put the big letter up there and so on. That's how concerned they were. Why? Because it's the Word of God. And you can study how the different books of the Old Testament became part of the community in Israel and, and, and so on. By the 300s, basically about 100 years after Malachi was written, um, the, the, the canon of the Old Testament was established. Now, it's a different number of books because, like, First and Second Chronicles are connected. First and Second Kings are, are connected. But the books are there, a little different order used in the Old Testament. But by the 300s, all of those were accepted. Now you have, you have people coming along and saying, yeah, but how do you know? I mean, come on. How do you know these, I mean, it's thousands of years after. How do you know we have the Word of God? And hello, in 1940, what was it 40, late 1948, was it? In the Dead Sea area of Israel, they find pots. And in these sealed pots, you find the scrolls of, among other books, Isaiah. And of course, this is fascinating that this was. This would, this would have been written in, the, in our age, okay, the, the gospel age, about a thousand years after Isaiah was written, which was in the 700s. Of course, the scholars, they're going to show that these versions that we have of these books in the Old Testament are full of errors. Um, don't hold your breath, folks. Especially the study of Isaiah and the other minor prophets that were in there, minor because they're shorter, were found to be basically identical to what we have because of that, you see, the carefulness with working with the Word of God.
Um, so that's, you know, there's more you can say, but that's, that's it with the Old Testament. The Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha, um, if, if you get a version of the Bible, like the New English Bible, you, you, they have not only the Old and New Testaments, but they have the, the Apocrypha, the first book of Esdras, second book of Esdras, Tobit, Judith, the rest of the chapters of the book of Esther, the wisdom of Solomon, Ecclesiasticus, or the wisdom of Jesus, son of Sirach, Baruch, a, a letter of Jeremiah, the song of the three, the three men in the furnace, Daniel and Susanna, that's interesting, Daniel, Bell, and the snake, that's interesting, the prayer of Manasseh, the first book of Maccabees, and the second book of Maccabees, and those are regarded by the Church of Rome as a standard for them. Twelve, yep, yep. Now, why, why do they want those books, do you think, as part of their canon of Scripture? Why? It's because it's only in those books that they can come up with some flimsy excuse for doctrine like purgatory. Okay? So this is where they'll get their justification for things like this. Okay. But, and the Apocrypha was written basically from about the 300s before the birth of Christ to about 100 before the birth of Christ. Why don't we receive them as the Word of God? One of the most profitable experiences I had in grad school. David, did you have to read, did you have to read the Apocrypha? Agreement? You didn't. That's, it's too bad because that's a, it was a weekend. We were told to go home and read all the 12 books of the Apocrypha. And you know why they're not regarded as the Word of God. They're nothing like the other books of the Bible. Number one, they don't even claim to be the Word of God. Number two, they don't evidence themselves as the Word of God. They're so different than the other books of the Scripture. They're not cited by the New Testament. And there are hundreds of references in the New Testament to Old Testament books. None of the Apocrypha, and they're very rarely quoted by the church fathers. Now, that's why the confession says you can cite them as merely human authors, but they're, but they're totally different than the other, the other books of, of the Scripture. Big thing is they don't claim to be the Word of God, okay? So, so that's not really an issue. The confession says that. Now, what about the New Testament? Well, again, it, it's really far more of an issue for us than it was in the early church. Um, in the New Testament, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 15, these, these are some little references um, in the New Testament to the writing of, of the Scriptures, um, the, in, in the writing of the New Testament Scriptures. 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. So, and, and 2 Thessalonians was... Not really written late, but it was it was uh, eh, later than, than say First Thessalonians was or Mark was or something. But you're kind of getting to the time that the New Testament books are being written and all in my view almost completed. Second uh, Thessalonians two fifteen. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the to the traditions that you were taught by us. Now listen carefully either by our spoken word or by our letter. So Paul is saying, we, we sent you something, which is 1 Thessalonians, 
you pay attention to those things. Now, why particularly those words? We'll get back to that. I mean, the, the heart of the, of the issue we're going to come to in a moment. Second uh, Timothy 3.16, all Scripture, and that was the Old Testament Scripture, is given by the breathing out of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly equipped unto every good work. You have basically a whole doctrine of scripture right there. Old Testament scripture, which was given as a canon. We knew those 39 books, all of it given by the inspiration of God. Um, 2 Peter 3 is very interesting. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 2 Peter... Okay, there were certain books in the New Testament that were recognized as New Testament books later than others. Jude, 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John, um, and James. Okay, th those, those books. 22 books of the New Testament were from the 2nd century recognized as the Word of God. Why those others? Well, here's what they have in common. They're all pretty short. And, and they're not going to be used as frequently in, in the church, um, but because they are shorter. So, and, and the Gospels are clearly the most common because they're the longest. Okay? So 2 Peter 2 and verse 15. Um, the, the, uh, I'm sorry, 3 and verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord's salvation, um, as, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, which is by the Holy Spirit. It's the truth given by the Spirit. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And so by, by this time, all of Paul's letters, beginning with Romans and, and, and uh, First and Second Corinthians and Romans and so on, were done. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other, what? Scriptures. And so here you have Peter writing under the inspiration of God, calling Paul's words with the same title you have for the Old Testament book. Scripture was, was the common word for the Word of God. And Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19, um, which really is fascinating, very end of the New Testament. Um, anybody who adds to the words of this book, I'll add to him the plagues in this book. Or if you take away from the words, I'll take away his name from the book of life. Why is that there? The, the scriptures are covenant documents. They're, they're, not, they're like contracts, but they're not. A contract is between equal parties. But in a covenant, God speaks. And he says, you don't tamper with my words. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. And that, at the end of the New Testament, is really significant. But you say, but why these books? Books written by the apostles. Jesus gives to the apostles, he even speaks of this, he gives them the Holy Spirit, Matthew 10 and verse 20 is, is one example, so that they will communicate his words to the church. And Matthew 10 and verse 20, there's a lot of other references in John like this. Matthew 10 and verse 20. 
For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's inspiration, folks. Okay? So, if it was written by an apostle, uh, Matthew, Mark was probably the secretary for, for Peter. Luke, who was later used in order to, to write. John, Paul, John again, James, Peter, Jude. What do you have? They're apostles. And so if their books are written and they, they are circulated in the churches, well, then you have the word of God. If they came to you personally and spoke, they would give the word of God. But, but they wrote those things and they were received as such. Now, people say, well, what if they wrote other things that we don't have? We're not meant to have them, period. It doesn't mean that everything they wrote needed to be for all the churches, but what they did read was, wrote, write was preserved in the churches so that, contrary to uh, Dan Brown, by 180 A.D., and that's, you know, that's about 150 years after the death of Christ, 22 of the 27 books of the New Testament were recognized as the Word of God. The church didn't make them that. They saw that these were things that were sent by apostles for the churches, and they had the marks, actually, of, of things that were not merely of a human composition. I think I've told you when I got done, when I was, when I was preparing to preach on John, I took two days just to read through John in the Greek. And, and it's not difficult Greek, so I, so I could do it. So, and, and it's going to let it wash over you. And I remember walking on the, the beach of where we were, and I said, number one, this did not come about by merely human composition. There, there's, it, to say it's extraordinary, uh, especially when you read the original language. Then I thought, how do you preach on it? <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, but, but you see this by reading the scriptures. Anyway, um, and, and again, the church fathers, by the second century, there's hundreds of references to most of the books of the New Testament. Again, the shortest ones were recognized a bit later. They weren't probably, they were shorter, so they wouldn't think of those. Um, but Irenaeus, the Muratorian Fragment, which is early third century, 200s, I think, it lists 22 of the books of the New Testament. And then later, you have all of them listed, Clement of Alexandria. Uh, but by, and even by the early second century, the hundreds, you already have references to the books of the New Testament. They were not given authority by the church, but they were recognized as having authority. Uh, how do you grasp that? Well, let me use an analogy. We, you weren't there when people wrote the Declaration of Independence and signed it, or the Constitution. You weren't there for that. And I think we do have the originals of those, but, but anyway, but, but you weren't there. But you know from history, you know from the names of the people who wrote those things. And you don't make them Constitution and Declaration, you recognize it. And so it's exactly the same thing with the Word of God. Now, by the early 3rd century, which is, the, which is the, the 200s, all the 27 books 
were, were recognized. Again, Dan Brown, not to the contrary. So that's, that's the basic answer, and I want to give some time. I apologize last time. I didn't give you the time. So anyway, for you, um, this week, you've got your confession. I want you to read the Westminster Confession of Faith, number five, for yourself, and um, you'll, you'll get a fuller answer here. But here's another question. How do you rightly understand the Scriptures? And remember, if there's people who rest Paul's words to their own destruction, that's scary, incidentally. You've got a plethora of teachers and a plethora of goofy ideas. Uh, resting the Scriptures to their own destruction? I don't want to be one of those. David, you don't want to be one of those either. That's why the training. But that's how serious, again, uh, the Word of God is. But, but anyway, re read those sections in the Confession, um, and then we'll begin next week, David will, with how you rightly understand it. Okay? So, wow. 25 minutes. Yes, Mrs. Gaffey, purveyor of wrinkled free life. Hebrews. So, who do we attribute God alone knows. But it's interesting, there really wasn't any doubt in the early church that Hebrews was part of the scripture. It was commonly used. You don't need to know the author. M many people believe that Paul wrote it, and that's probably the reason why it was reckoned. He may have written it. The style is very different than the other. But it was regardless. Um, apparently there was belief that some... <laughs> Don't tell me. You want a sip of my coffee, right? Give your place. That's a real footnote. Um, but it's interesting, Iris. There really was no debate in the early church that it was, that was the word of God. See, what happened is this. These things would get copied. And, you know, here, let's say Iris receives a manuscript from Paul. And you know this is the word of God. How are we going to treat it? Well, you're going to copy it and get people to copy it and circulate it in the church. And the, and the other was also true. There was such a fear of saying something was the word of God when it wasn't that things like, you know, the gospel of Barnabas and, and, and uh, Thomas, these things were hardly translated. You have hundreds of copies of the gospels and maybe, you know, five, six, seven copies of the others. So that's the dynamic that's at work. That's a good question. I, there's something, if you're really interested in the specific books, there's something called Old and New Testament Introduction. O, Old and New Testament Survey is the history of the Old and New Testament. Introduction is, who wrote the book of Hebrews? Why do we believe Hebrews is part of the canon? What's the main message of the book of Hebrews? That kind of a thing. And that would deal with it. Okay? Good question. Socrates. You had the great schism between the Eastern Orthodox and the Catholic Church in around right. 300. Yes. So the Bible was already canonized by that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm just wondering. Now you talk about the great schism in the 13th century yeah. with a with third. okay third okay. That was between the Eastern Orthodox and the. Catholic. No, that was no, that was 13th century was the Eastern Orthodox. You really didn't. You had one Christian church. In the in the fourth or third century and fourth so when century, was the first pope? I that, that would have been probably the sixth century. 
Um, who was it? John. He actually wrote a pastoral theology that's pretty good. That's the first one called a pope. No, the reason I bring it up is I read something that, you know, they wouldn't, it was part of why Martin Luther wrote the treatises, is because he said the word of God should be in every man's language so that they can read the Bible. Yep. But the church was saying we want to keep the word from being mistranslated, yep. so it has to be kept in Latin. Yeah. Which I can see the logic in that, yeah, although sure. it's flawed. But it was kept, let's say, pure in all those years. Yeah, it's a great point, Socrates. There was a concern when when the Gutenberg uh, printing press, movable type printing press, came out. And of course, the Bible was, if it wasn't, I think it was the first thing that was done on the Gutenberg press, right? There was a concern raised, what's going to happen if everybody is reading the Bible, everybody's going to interpret the Bible for himself or herself, and you're going to have chaos. And there is a certain amount of truth in that. Look at our culture. Um, whereas, <coughs> that's why we're going to deal with it next time. That's why uh, you, know, you have to have trained teachers to do it, to, to work with the Word of God. Yeah. But yeah, by the, by the, uh, definitely by the late 200s, you, you have references to the, to the books of the New Testament that are there. Okay. Others? Yes, sir. Um, in the seventh um, story catechism, when it says, what are the decrees of God? I would have guessed, having not looked at it, I would have just guessed it was creation would have been one of the decrees. Right. And, and it's not. But go on with it. What are the decrees of God? Decrees of God is eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory, uh, he, all things come to pass. But then how does God execute his decrees? Creation and providence. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, Jim. Um, one of the things that, frankly, I wrestle with is the use of the term evangelical. Um, there's, believe it or not, there's all different definitions of it. So, you know, believing the Bible is the word of God, the priority of the gospel, okay. But right now, that word has become a nose of wax. You have, quote-unquote, evangelical Roman Catholics, you have evangelical Mormons. What does it mean? And Warren Cole Smith, who used to be with World Magazine, has a penetrating article about that, and here's the reason I mention it. He said, evangelicalism has no stated doctrine of creation. In none of the creeds does, does it mention anything about that. Where's the battle today? It's over the doctrine of creation in more ways than one. And so he makes the case in there that one of the reasons why it's important to have a full confession of faith is so that you have full statements about doctrines that are often the hot button issues. The reason I ask is because a decree is a spoken word, and the Lord spoke, and right. creation was... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, in Providence, he does the same thing, you know, but uh, good, good, but yeah, by creation and Providence. Mike, thank you very much for, you did all the cooking? No, I have Our appreciation, Mike. I hope, I hope you get to know the Haven. I'd love to do it. I, I've got a, another calling to go to a Chinese New Year thing, but uh, next time we'll get it. Let's stand and, and, and let's pray together. Okay, Jimmy, would you mind closing our, our time in prayer? Okay.
Father, we thank you for the confession of faith that tethers us to the Word of God. Yes, amen. Thank, thank you. you for all 66 books. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that illuminates that Word of God into our hearts and our minds. We're most thankful for ministers and teachers of the Word of God that bring clarity and understanding with the Word of God. Lord, we thank you that this Word of God is planted deep in our hearts and changes our lives. And that's the truth that uh, can be seen all around the world, is that Christians' lives are turned upside yes, down. Yes, hallelujah. Right side Amen. to the glory of God alone. Uh, Father, we thank you for this food that has been prepared. Uh, we ask that it would nourish us, strengthen us, encourage us in our hearts. And we thank you for the hands that prepared it, Michael and mm. Sylvia. And uh, Lord, we just are so grateful for the means of grace, uh, times of fellowship. Uh, may you be glorified in our eating. And in all that we do and in our fellowship, we ask all of this. In Christ's name, amen. Amen and amen. Amen. amen.